New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Well, I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today, very pleased to have Damon Kelly from Enlightened Designs on the show. How are you, Damon? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Great um, to have you here for the first time, um, your first time in the the podcast New Zealand studio. Uh, maybe you could just give listeners a, an intro of where you fit into this big wide world of tech. Uh, uh, so I'm the founder and CEO of Enlightened Designs and we started whoa, about 21 years ago actually out of a caravan out the back of my house and um, we do Microsoft based solutions in New Zealand across web and software development and other various scenarios and we just won Microsoft Country Partner of the Year Congratulations Thank you Well I thought yeah it seemed to be a good excuse to get you on the, the show so uh, let's jump in now we're going to start with just some uh, quick headlines and then we'll we'll delve into our uh, discussion topics um, First up uh, interesting to hear that uh, New Zealand uh, tech enabled uh, finance firm Layby um, did pretty well when they listed on the Australian Stock Exchange yesterday their um, share price rose around uh, 50% and they're um, and we've spoken about one or two of these firms on the show in the past um, but they're, they're in this uh, buy now pay later uh, category and um, yeah, seem to be doing pretty well. They launched in 2017 here in New Zealand and they branched out into Australia and the UK as well. Now in China, uh, we hear from their state media channels that uh, China have launched and recovered a, uh, a fairly secretive reusable um, spacecraft from the bits and pieces I've heard, it sounds as though this may well be something sort of along the track of the space shuttle. Um, certainly that's a possibility. Um, but, yeah, there's a number of craft that are um, that are being developed in, in that particular uh, manner in terms of space planes, including the, the New Zealand uh, Dutch firm uh, Dawn Aerospace. So, yeah, apparently they were in uh, orbit for a couple of days um, up until earlier on this week. Uh, App Epic versus uh, Apple, uh, that fight seems to uh, seems to continue, and uh, of course Epic uh, did get kicked out of uh, Apple's App Store. Um, they they went to court to try and stop it, and they were sort of partially successful, um, but yeah, not able to stop Apple uh, kicking them out of their App Store. Um, but they're now going uh, going back to court and uh, trying to get their their things such as Fortnite uh, back into the App Store. Uh, and on the front of uh, e-commerce, which of course has been, uh, you know, doing very well for, uh, I guess, people stuck in their homes, not wanting to go out to, to stores, has worked well for them, uh, and has worked well for companies like Amazon, who have seen their uh, share prices go through the roof. Um, but on the flip side, we've had these ongoing challenges with fake online reviews and uh, news in from the UK that Amazon have deleted uh, 20,000 reviews um, from seven out of their ten top reviewers on Amazon UK. So seems like a, possibly a lot of uh, very untrustworthy reviews there on uh, on Amazon uh, UK. Well, into our uh, discussion topics, um, Microsoft Surface Duo, this uh, foldable Android phone, arrives in the US on Friday. Um, Damon, have you been uh, following this? What are your What are your thoughts on Microsoft getting back into phones, but uh, without Windows? Yeah, I think 
I think the previous Microsoft phone operating system was actually pretty good, but they always had that challenge that they never had the app ecosystem. And I think the shift into going into Android means that now they really can have the apps if they can make really, really solid hardware devices. I think it'll be interesting because often when you look at Microsoft's, some of their first or second generation hardware products and sometimes even software products haven't quite hit the mark, but they're just really smart at learning and iterating. And I think that deciding to come in with a foldable phone which is in that new wave, I think it does set them up to have a chance um, of being really good. But, um, you know, the other thing is, like, history has shown that they haven't been particularly successful in the mobile phone space. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious about this. And, look, I've been, you know, usually with these new products, if they're not available in, in New Zealand, and I think they're really significant, and sometimes it's quite debatable whether whether they will be actually. Um, and this one probably falls into that category. I, I try and get hands on, but um, there's no chance I'll be flying to the US uh, this this week, um, which was conveniently how I managed to get my hands on the first Apple Watch when it came out. Um, and uh, I haven't had too much luck with getting one of these uh, shipped from the states, so I'm not quite sure we'll be getting hands on. But yeah, it is it is you know very curious, and, and Microsoft have have done so many things in that mobile uh, phone space from the you know Nokia acquisition and varying other things that they did uh, prior to that uh, can can they succeed I guess it depends what success looks like for Microsoft too you know, how many of these things would they need to to sell for it to make sense for for their business I, you know I'm not quite sure you know exactly what that looks like and it's quite a high-end phone in terms of you know the price point 1400 uh, US dollars I think for the you know the base handset so that market is not huge unless they're really locked in with a lot of carriers I think they've got a partnership with AT&T in the US which you know is is one of the biggest players so um there are, there that may help them. The fact that it's Android, though, does mean that they don't have those uh, app issues that they had with Windows Phone, which you know really was a, a fantastic uh, you know operating system. It sort of sat somewhere between iOS and and Android in terms of you know varying aspects, and we're only just starting to see now some of the uh, some of the aspects of Windows Phone start coming into uh, iOS with um, with the new iOS 14. So um, yeah. I think I think it's interesting. There's a sweet spot where they might be able to get the form factor, which is slightly up from the Surface Pros, um, around where that phone fits into the mix. And I do think the innovation around a foldable screen around the various devices, like both the phone and the next device up, is going to be it's going to be interesting. And I think they're squarely going to target that device at the business market. So it's, um, you know, where could those productivity apps and gains be? It'll be interesting, but challenging time with COVID to release hardware, I think, especially premium point hardware. Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, the online videos, uh, it makes it look quite compelling. It is interesting when you look at what others are doing that they're actually sitting behind in many regards technologically so you know, they're, they're running sort of you know last year's you know chips in the air uh, base unit's got 128 um, gigs of storage you can pay another 100 us and get 256 but you don't have you know expansion storage you don't have 
wireless charging, any sort of you know waterproof um, you know element to it. So there's very much that sort of version one uh, type type product, but. It does look as though the hardware is very, very nice, mm. and of course you don't actually have a folding screen as such. You've got two, two different uh, screens. Very, very slim um, for a for a phone that's got two screens. But yeah, I think there's a fair few unknowns. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh, seeing how they go with it. But I don't think it's a it's a completely done deal either way. I'm sort of be very much on the fence. <laughs> now on to Autonomous uh, vehicles, something we do like to talk about on the on the show uh, from time to time. I saw recently, um, and there's been a bit of coverage to do with autonomous boats, but I saw um, this was in uh, covered by the BBC about a uh, a three week Atlantic uh, mission for an autonomous uh, boat, and. This to me, I think, is is pretty cool. It was a, a twelve meter, un, they call an uncrewed surface ve- vessel, uh, 20, 22 days um, at sea, mapping an area of the seafloor in the Atlantic. And this very much seems like, for you know, so many scenarios, it seems like the future. Certainly, uh, search and rescue type uh, type things. You would imagine they're going to be able to cover much more area, you know, both in the air uh, and on water, using autonomous uh, autonomous vehicles, and then for certain types of things on water, where you know you you maybe can't justify or it doesn't make sense to have people. Uh, there are certain probably safety aspects and so on as well, um, but it does seem to be very very much uh, early days with this tech, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it's um. I think the whole autonomous area is going to be so interesting because you can see the the start of what's happening when you, for example, let's say you get into a Tesla and you have your first drive with autopilot running and you're like, well, this car is like driving itself and automatically changing lanes. And you still have to watch out um, and pay attention because it's unfortunately not perfect, but it gives you that glimpse into the future. And then the other scenario why I think we're going to see, not just for search and rescue and um, some of these more exploratory edge cases, is if you go back to trucking. So the the core scenario is the economics, if they can make logistics autonomous, are just massive. So you've got these huge races around um, driving autonomous shipping and we can already, you can already see a lot with the mining vehicles as well so um, I think the space is going to catch up a lot quicker than we realise actually which will be um, very very interesting it'll be interesting I think also to will this be another scenario where COVID accelerates things because you're essentially getting to a scenario where you don't have to have people it's uh, yeah it's going to be interesting yeah, well, we spoke to uh, David Ings, who's the uh, founder and, and CEO, or co-founder and CEO at uh, Rocos recently, and they talked about that their platform. You know, one of the things that uh, that their software, uh, their robotic cloud, would work with um, is is boats. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it's it's going to be very interesting, and I hope you, you know New Zealand uh, companies can can really find you know a role with these. Uh, Developments now also on that uh, that front of uh, 
autonomous uh, technology. So I saw a headline about a Tesla driver in the US who was on autopilot and uh, crashed into a police car. In fact, I think he actually ended up uh, um, hitting two two police (laughs) vehicles in uh, North Carolina. And the uh, which which isn't really doesn't sound like a good look for Tesla. Uh, but then it was also revealed that uh, this guy was a you know a doctor, a medical doctor, and uh, he was watching some video whilst in his car. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a little reminder there, I, I suppose, is you know we for you know for those that are able to get their hands on this technology at the moment, um, you know because. The technology works so well. The very large majority of the time, it is easy to get probably lulled into a, a, a false sense of uh, security. Um, so, yeah, wisdom still required at the moment. And uh, keep your keep your eye on the road if you've got a uh, a vehicle with some ability to. Uh, to do a level of autonomous uh, navigation and driving. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it is going to be very interesting to see how quickly it does change. And, you know, we've been given, you know, so many people and, you know, Elon Musk is a, is a classic one in terms of giving dates of, you know, how close things are. Um, you're never quite sure when 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 we'll get to this sort of fully autonomous uh, car world, and you know what is the exact technology that needs to be in a vehicle to uh, to do that. But uh, he has been re- recently uh, touting uh, this whole new uh, version of the autopilot uh, software, uh, which is apparently a complete rewrite. So um, and apparently only maybe two or three months away so oh, wow. um, so and that go, that apparently takes it from what today is, is mostly a, a sort of a two-dimensional type uh, view that their software takes to a three-dimensional view and so yeah I'm I'm hopeful that will uh, yeah will be a reasonable reasonable leap forward but uh, I'm not I'm no longer placing any bets on where we're gonna have you know fully autonomous uh, vehicles certainly ones that can that can you know just drive all over all over New Zealand uh, and of course there will always be limits in terms of you know where this technology uh, might might be able to work yeah I think that the challenge with it is it's not a technology that's okay to work 99% of the time, right? <laughs> you kind of need it working 100%. And then understanding all those edge cases is like so tricky. So, so, so tricky. We will get there, but yeah, that time horizon is going to be really hard to understand. Yeah, well, you, I mean, you were talking about the sort of commercial applications and you know, transportation and so on. I can see with some of the technology, and, and I've seen some of this in, in the US, where they've got these yeah, semi-autonomous trucks, which can go on the freeway, and, and you know on the freeway most of the time, yeah, you know, they're totally okay without there being there being a driver. There is somebody you know, sit, sitting in the seat in the same way there's somebody sitting in the seat when you know maybe your Tesla getting from A to B. Uh, and with a requirement of that person to keep their eye on the road. But once that technology gets maybe not a whole lot further, you can imagine 
even if the autonomous technology isn't completely there, that the idea of that sort of remote assist driver that can, you know, basically jump into the the virtual seat with their VR headset on and uh, and just get that vehicle um, out of a tricky situation that mm. maybe they've stopped in or something where where the vehicle didn't know what to do. Um, but yeah, real, realistically, I think the technology, all the dots need to join up so that the the, the virtual driver has enough uh, expertise and, and wherewithal to be able to, you know, handle the very, very, very large majority of cases. And uh, these things ultimately come down to, is that is that autonomous driver safer than a person? And then how much safer than a person does it need to be before we're all feeling relaxed and comfortable with that approach? Um, and yeah, I'm not, qu- I'm not quite sure how that how that lands um, but I think there are plenty of roads in New Zealand right now where you probably would yeah for a, for a large majority of your time on the on those roads and you know, particularly motorways uh, find that you know, Tesla's technology and other people's technology actually can do a really good job in those in those scenarios yeah I, I think whether it be like autonomous technology or um, often when you look at artificial intelligence as well, I think that the combination or augmentation, so when you've got a human and then you're augmenting that human with a bit of driver assist or um, some machine vision or those style scenarios, that's certainly a place where we're, I think we're seeing organizations are getting really good productivity gains at the moment. Yep. Uh, and it's interesting. I think there's always been this, like, if we kind of come to AI, this view that artificial intelligence is going to become our overlords and uh, like take over and it's going to be Terminator all over again. But it's it's really at the moment, um, it's very, very powerful, but not by itself. You really need to kind of be augmenting in some way. And I think it comes back to the autonomous, right, which is like for there to be transportation completely independently that means that you're kind of getting very close to 100% or you've got an amazing solution for when you're um, you're hitting those cases which it can't counter so yeah yeah which I guess yeah talking talking about these things is maybe it makes sense to also delve a, a little bit into um, Neuralink which of course Elon Musk and and their uh, team did their uh, their demo uh, recently, and you know they're calling it um, Neuralink uh, V2, and the demonstration was a you know a pig with its brain basically hooked up to a computer and monitoring it. Now, in terms of what uh, you know, what I saw of of that. I'm not quite sure that that's the technology I'd want plugged into me right now, um, but I can see this this is going to this is really going to uh, you know evolve over the years ahead. It sounds like the technology they've got now, you know, based on their experience with the pigs anyway, is that they can uh, you know they can tap in, put this little coin sized thing into your uh, into the top of your skull. They can remove it and, in theory, not do not do any damage. Um, but yeah, whether yeah, how how that would work, I'm, I'm you know, so many um, you know thoughts go through my mind. But certainly that idea of sort of you know augmenting and and assisting um, 
you know, makes a lot of sense. And particularly for those people who, you know, from a medical perspective, have a, you know, have had uh, a challenge or, you know, some sort of disability that they would, they would love to be able to overcome, I can see there really being some genuine interest in, in this stuff. While most of us are probably pretty, you know, freaked out by it, um, I can imagine once they do say they're going to make it available publicly, there'll be a lot of people putting their hands up and say, yep, you can, uh, you can experiment on me. Uh, I think this is such an interesting topic because if you look at humans, right, we've been augmenting ourselves right from like the dawn of time, like really early points where we've had like tools, right? That's essentially like a form of human augmentation. And then if you look at where we are now, like most people are augmented with a smartphone. So uh, I actually remember earlier today, um, one of the guys in the office with me was like, hey Siri, can you give me the definition of this, right? So it's like talking to the phone in order to kind of augment intelligence at the same time. And I think through the last few months, what's been really surprising to me has been seeing like where virtual reality and mixed reality is going because, you know, uh, you can put on a VR headset now and you can suddenly warp yourself in with all of your friends around the world in a different location. And where you look, you're, you're essentially your mind thinks you're there. Now, if we look at the neural link scenario, it's really, it's interesting to think, okay, so like, you know, some of the earlier versions of that are going to have to be hardwired in, which does not sound pleasant in the slightest. But actually, what, if you kind of come up to first principles, what's the difference between that and a VR headset, right? So if it's like projecting it so that I can see it versus I'll put a headset on, yep. uh, it starts getting really interesting. And those lines, I think, are going to get really, really blurry. The thing I do think is interesting, I guess, kind of going back on my comment from before, is that, you know, Elon Musk's. Uh, view of Neuralink was he was like we need to have Neuralink to augment humans because he's so afraid of artificial intelligence so he's kind of going like let's give ourselves some tools so that we can compete otherwise we might be obsolete so it's a, it's a, a great topic Neuralink and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens yeah yeah um, yeah I'm I'm really I'm fasc- fascinated by it and yeah I think they did a uh, a good job with this, yeah. This their their recent uh, demo, just you know the the downsizing of the technology. You're not wearing this big, you know this big thing. It effectively can be uh, invisible. I'm not sure, yeah, how how many people want chunks taken out of their skull, um, and so on. But hey, we're uh, we're early days with this stuff. But this would probably be, you know, for me, I would I would not see this as sort of something I'm quite so keen to be a an early adopter of put it that way no I've, yeah I'm not you know usually with technology I'm yet. like yep okay yeah a little little bit of you know autopilot and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and oh yeah if they've tested that autonomous flying machine yep I'll I'll go up they seem to have some good sort of safety around that stuff but um, I don't know this one I'll, I'll probably sit back a little bit on <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah um, good luck to the uh, the pigs, and I hope they come out smarter, but not too smart um, with this tech. Now, in terms of things happening locally, contact tracing has has been a you know, a bit of a challenge here 
and I think everywhere around the world in terms of, I, you know, I heard uh, somebody saying that that in the US now they're not they're not bothering so much with um, contact tracing, and it does seem to vary where, where you are, and you know, the whole lot of different uh, rules in place. I was uh, speaking to a friend in uh, in Philippines uh, recently, and he was just telling me how his whole family got infected. And it was like, wow. I mean, that's the closest I've, you know, I've I've come in terms of to to anyone. Um, that's yeah, that's had that happen. Um, and he was saying, you know, now they're getting them to wear not only the masks but the ones you'd seen in medical, the big sort of plastic, oh, you know, face things. Shields. Yeah, the face shields. So apparently that's mandatory. You can go to prison or something uh, in oh, Philippines wow. if you're not wearing both out and about because they've they've you know it's been such a big um, such a big problem um, there and so you know we're we're when you compare our situation with Philippines I mean India sounds like they're going through a really really uh, tough time you know right right now um, we've been in a pretty good state but you know of course we kind of want this we want to keep the nirvana state as much as possible so uh, contact tracing tech seems to seems to make sense for us to utilize it and the numbers on terms of the New Zealand COVID tracer app have really been you know going up uh, I probably you know would have been good if that could have happened earlier but I don't think the app probably was you know was that ready uh, but it seems to be in a better state now I see it's it's uh, scores on um, the App Store, Apple's App Store, and um, the Google Play Store are, are edging up. Uh, I think they were sort of two point something uh, when I when I when I first looked, and now they're at uh, three point two on the the App Store and three point six stars on uh, on Android um, out of five. So that technology is getting better, much broader adoption. Uh, but then on the flip side, you've got the COVID card technology, which seemed like it might make sense to augment maybe alongside uh, where Sam Morgan's really called time and sounds like he's pretty fed up with the Ministry of Health there. I, I saw a quote from him um, saying that the project had been buried among people who are useless deep inside ministries who just can't deliver this, uh, which, uh, yeah, look, I mean, I imagine, you know, Sam Sam's not, Used to working too much with government would be would be my call, which is as you know probably the case with most sort of tech entrepreneurs. You expect to be able to move at pace, get something done, you know, bring a change, and uh, and away you go. Uh, government seems to be moving at a at a different uh, different pace on these things. What's your thoughts with you know with how we're going on on the tech front, or you know, in terms of what certainly what we can see uh, you know publicly as as far as uh, things like COVID tracer app and the the COVID card. Yeah, great question. So, because you know your company develops software, right? So I mean, I guess you know they they could have come to you for the the stuff. Um, you know, the, or, or still could. Yeah, that's it. We'll there see. you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you so when a country stops contact tracing. Um, which has happened in some states in America, it's really when it's just totally out of control, right? So mm, it's kind of, mm. there's no point contract tracing when so many people have it that you just, you know, there's too many nodes in order to calculate it. So I yep. think in New Zealand, we're in like like a really enviable position. I think we're ranked currently, what, the second safest country in the world in relation to COVID? By, by some metrics. And, I mean, it's re- really interesting without getting sort of political on you know, 
on that stuff. But I mean, I talk to f- friends in Australia and, and so on so often, and you know, you've got at one end, you've got um, Victoria where their numbers are, yeah, relatively sort of you know through through the through the roof. Um, and then you look at most most of the other um, states. Well, New South Wales didn't didn't do so well either, um, but most of the other states. And I mean, they've actually done they've done better than than New Zealand. So it, there seems to be something around uh, Australia and New Zealand that it came a lot later um, mm. for for whatever reason. Things had spread in other parts of the world quicker. So we will. I think that's you know part of it for us. We're sort of lucky to come later. Um, and in you know most regards, it's been handled handled well. But oh, I think luck has definitely had a factor to do with that. I think no matter where you are in the world, right? Because you get a couple of super spreaders. You know, if yeah. R is greater than one, um, then you can get into an exponential curve pretty quickly in relation to the spread of COVID. I think when you look at things like COVID Card um, and the Tracer app, it's they're all. R- really good insurance policies right um and i think the more of these style insurance policies that we have the better that we are and i think that we really want to be embracing technology and using that in a way of keeping ourselves safe i think there's this other opportunity for all new zealand businesses as well which is our brand as a country because of our response to covid whether it be luck or whether it be great governance is super strong and then that's something that we can really capitalize on. So I think that the, um, you know, the sentiment of what um, Sam's encouraging is like great, right? Because if we can get um, New Zealand being like a world first in how we're doing contract tracing and really kind of showing that, then that will one, keep us safe as a country, but it will actually have other countries looking to us for thought leadership, um, not in relation to how to deal with health and pandemics, but also technology. And I think that would be really, really good. I think some of the fundamentals always come back, which is, uh, and I, you've got to make sure that the user experience on all of these aspects is like really good and really easy and really seamless. Uh, and you've got to manage privacy well. So if you can do those two things, I think um, I think you're in a in a really really good position. And I always love the the Uber example because just around. Uh, you know, as you said, we build quite a lot of apps, but the technology in Uber was around for a very long time, right? We're talking about geolocation, we're talking about apps, we're talking about payments, but what they actually did was they stitched it all together and had a really easy user experience, like frictionless, right? You don't even pay when you leave um, when you leave the car, and by really making sure that that user experience was incredible. Uh, it makes everything easy. So I think, and and that's why with a lot of what we're doing, whether it be approaching websites or it be approaching mobile apps or applications, taking that customer experience, user experience first approach is really important. And I hope that what New Zealand does is that we look at that in relation to how we're responding to COVID and these contact tracing apps. Because I think if we do that well, and where it is getting five stars because it just works so easily and I don't need to do anything, I just walk in and it kind of triggers that I've been into the place, then um, yeah, it could be really, really good. Yeah, and I th- yeah, I think that's really important. The other bit that probably sits, sits along alongside Making it successful and getting that great reputation is is how you actually encourage the uptake of it. Because without uptake, it doesn't uh, it doesn't achieve too much. And 
that is happening now, but of course it would have been much better if the momentum that was built in this kind of you know second wave had happened before we before we got to uh, got to that. But we've got that advantage now, and that there is a you know, reasonably good chunk of the population sort of. Uh, you know, taking advantage of it, not just having it installed, but actually using it. So, hopefully, that that keeps uh, ticking up, and they get those usability uh, pieces, uh, and, you know, continually improving. And it seems like on the yeah the privacy front that they've ha- handled it, you know, in a reasonably good way. But you, know, you never quite know; you can never be quite sure. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, one thing I saw in the comments, someone was saying, "Look, why can't you have it that when you open when you open the COVID tracer uh, app, that it just would come straight to the scan screen?" Mm. And that was on a on a review I saw. And well, I saw it today, but it it would have been probably in the last month or so. And that seems to be how the app's working now. When you fire it up, you're basically, you're there ready to scan, so it just works. And um, I had a really embarrassing moment um, some weeks ago during during the, the Auckland's uh, sort of second lockdown. Uh, I just installed the app on um, on a... Uh, on another device so I usually you know, carry iOS and an Android put it on the, the Android and I had gone through the steps to sign in um, but they're like you got to scan to go into the store and I'm looking at it going where's the scan option and the person grabbed my phone and hit three three different things to get me from the screen I was on to being able to scan oh, no. but I felt like like a total noob at using technology like <laughs> I need to go to a how to use you know smartphone 101 course um, but it, you know it was the nature of where the app was at at that time mm. I suppose even though I was signed in signed in I opened it and it was like this yeah, this clunky process to get to uh, uh, to be able to scan. Shows you how important usability is. Or- yeah, yeah. Whereas, and and then the previous time on on my iPhone, I went into a store and it had signed me out. Right, so it was like, ah, oh, you know, screw that. <laughs> I think like maybe even going all the way back to the Microsoft Geo, right? If the usability on that device is incredible, then it doesn't matter that the hardware in it is a little bit older. Um, yeah, it'll be. Yeah, they they will lift it regardless, right? And and I think they recognise that the that underlying you know chip isn't the component that that's going to matter to ninety nine percent of you know matter the most, shall we say? It does matter. It makes a difference in terms of you know being a device to help you with your productivity. If it's slower at doing stuff as as everyone else's phones, that's going to be a problem. But um, you know. It, it's not going to be that much further behind if, but if the the user experience is really good and you can be more productive. I always love the uh, the story of the Nintendo Wii, right? So you have both Sony PlayStation and Microsoft Xbox. When they actually sell a console, they sell them at a loss, right? Because they need to make the money back on the games. Yeah. But then you have the Nintendo Wii, which is this. Uh, the hardware is just not even comparable. Uh, it's like very, very basic. However, it was sold at a profit, but because the user experience and the way that it worked was so innovative and so different, um, they're making money from day one and they got huge market share. So it just shows that it's not always about how good is the latest and greatest technology. It's really like, 
um, you know, what's the outcomes that it's going to cause? How usable is it? And I think coming back to the COVID tracing app, it's just, you know, you have to, especially if you are asking an entire nation to do something, right? If you're asking an entire nation to do something, then that's got to be slick, right? Yeah, and look, there there are people that can't install can't install an app, and I think you know there is room for that COVID card to sit on alongside because, you know, from a user experience perspective, does it get any you know does it get that much easier than having you know something that you wear or put in your pocket? Well, yep, you could you know put a chip under somebody's skin or something, but I don't I don't think there's too much enthusiasm for that. So, um, you know, wearing a uh, wearing a card is is probably. Uh, your good alternative for, for for those things, and look, I you know I think of my my father who you know in his day was a was a you know, computer programmer, and um, but you know these days his use of technology, I don't I don't think that he's actually you know got a although he's got an Android phone, I'm not sure that he uh, you know ac- actually has a um, a login for Google Play and so on. So would he can he install the app? Don't know. Maybe not. So, uh, yeah. Um, now, one last um, thing that I just want to talk about before we dive in and, and you know, keen to hear a little bit about um, Enlightened Designs is this watch I've been wearing the last couple of weeks. And I thought I wasn't allowed to talk about it. And then I checked in with the um, with the manufacturer today and said, um, you know, what was the embargo? You know, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen any online coverage of it when they sent it to me. I Googled it. I, I don't know. I, I had, have had it for two or three weeks um, and uh, they said no you're allowed to talk about it it launches this week in New Zealand and it's called the Huawei watch fit and you were looking across at it before we before we started and we, we had a little bit of a chat before we started recording and you were trying to I think trying to get your head around what what it was um, what does it remind you of oh, it looks like an Apple watch like but kind of one that's a bit more skinny yeah um, it's it's quite it was quite a surprise to me because I knew nothing about it when they sent it there was nothing online that this was this was coming not that I saw anyway and I opened it up and I thought hold on that that looks very very uh, you know Apple-esque in terms of just the curves and and the shape and I've worn before uh, one of the Fitbit um, devices where people have mistaken it for an Apple watch because it's a similar sort of you know squarish type uh, screen and 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 so on but when you look at it closely you know clearly nothing like an Apple watch um, but yeah this is sort of you know rectangular it's a portrait style um, touchscreen uh, you know, you've got your uh, sensor on the rear for getting your um, uh, your pulse and so on, um, and looks yeah like a, a pretty overall pretty slick device. It's coming in at two hundred and twenty nine dollars, so it's a much more accessible uh, price point than the Apple Watch, and I think this is the sort of thing that will um, you know help them to you know maybe maybe get a little bit of market share with this. Now I'm not sure what challenges Huawei have in terms of chips and and exactly how you know how that will look uh, for them going forward because they they do have some challenges, um, but yeah, it, I mean it's um, probably the the standout thing uh, for me is you've got this nice screen, um, but having that color screen and so on doesn't mean that it's got a short battery life. So you think of the Fitbits where you can get. I don't know. I think probably about five, five, 
five days would probably be typical of the different Fitbit devices that I've um, I've tried. Certainly, you know, three or four, no no problem at all. Um, I hear. Um, that Huawei tout this as 10 days. My experience, and there's a couple of different uh, settings, and one of them will halve the battery life, which is if you want a screen on 24-7. My experience is probably three to six days. um, That's good. Which is like, you know, charge it once or twice a week sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit easier. It does the sleep tracking. Um, I haven't delved, you know, massively into all of those bits and pieces, but uh, yeah, it's it's got a, a fair bit of um, uh, well, a fair few options in terms of what you see on the on the screen. So a little bit like the complications on the Apple Watch. Um, so yeah, but at a at a much more accessible price point. Um, the other device that will look actually even more like an Apple Watch is the new smartwatch from um, Oppo and um, I got contacted that about that one at a similar time but for whatever reason it hasn't arrived yet so that's just launched into the market. I think uh, their ones are at a more Apple-esque type, uh, type price uh, but they're, they're, um, yeah, they're in the market right now as well. So um, that will be interesting to look at. But apparently they're, they're sort of complete spitting image of the, uh, the the Apple Watch. I'm not sure on the software side how that looks. So <laughs> we'll wait and see. Interesting. Um, so, Damon, yeah, I'm keen to hear a, a little bit about um, Enlightened Designs. You've you know, just won the, uh, the Microsoft Partner of the Year Award, which is you know, a recognition of outstanding work that, uh, that you've done over the last year. Um, but where did you come from? You talked about uh, a caravan 21 or so uh, years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, so originally, so Enlightened started in Hamilton, and I was at Waikato University. And I was doing a double major in psychology and cognitive science. And I was playing a computer game. I think it was Quake. Uh, and I'd been connecting with all, like, through the internet with all of these people around the world. And we'd created this kind of big online community site. And I had no money. I was, like, a broke student. And so I approached the um, internet service provider and I said, hey, your website sucks. I'll tell you what. I'll do you a new one if you give me free hosting uh, for this community site. They turned around and said, sure. I stayed up that night. I drank a lot of um, something from way back in the day called Jolt Cola and oh, also yeah, Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah. Um, and gave them a website the next day uh, after not much sleep. And they were like, hey, this is really good. Um, we've got some other clients which would be interested. Can we start sending you people to build websites? And we were like, I was like, sure. Uh, so started building a collection of websites for their clients and then I decided not to go back to university because I think I was going to do a clinical uh, do clinical psychology um, as my postgrad and then yeah friends ended up coming and saying we want to work with you and um, that's where Enlighten was born uh, and I think that the cool thing I, um, was it's like 21 years later when we just won uh, Microsoft Country Partner of the Year for New Zealand, which is really exciting. But um, I want to just maybe like talk about a like, couple of our clients really quickly because I thought that was really interesting because I think the stories are really neat and I think they really fit the, um, the audience um, of your podcast. So 
there are a few different clients that we, um, which is why we won, but one of them in particular is really, really interesting. And Well Networks um, in the Waikato created a power retailer called Our Power. And they got us to develop essentially like a completely automated power retailer. And I think it has three total staff that run this entire power retailer. But the reason why they did it was really, really cool. They looked and they went, there's all of these people that are suffering from energy hardship. And energy hardship is when you spend more than 10% of your disposable income on power. And they said, can we use technology to just remove people out of a power retailer so that we can have you know, offer just super cheap power. So that will then support all of these people in the community, uh, which we developed and is now live and um, people can kind of sign up. And yeah, it's been incredible. And they've like, I think like last count, they were well over selling like a million dollars of saving a million dollars of like power savings um, for people. So that's pretty cool. And then they redid the same thing in Ragland and they're like looking at taking that concept and, and scaling it forward. So I thought it was just this really nice scenario of where technology is being used for good and where organizations are kind of being like, how can we embrace this to make a difference? And then uh, the other one, uh, another client, which I want to talk about a little bit was Sustainable Coastlines. So these are the guys that uh, organize what are called citizen scientists, so normal people from the community, to go and do beach cleanups uh, and across like all of our beaches and then categorize all of that rubbish so that information can go to um, government. And we did some really cool stuff around uh, visualization and artificial intelligence and data recording and for that. But I thought what was really neat around... Um, our win this year was the fact that not only were we acknowledged for the really cool commercial work that we've been done, but actually how technology had been used to support communities and um, help places around the world. So I thought that was really neat. So yeah, um, that's cool. I mean, I'm I'm particularly interested. How you know how do we use technology as a country to you know to do good things and whether it's to you know address some of our some of our you know challenges that that, that we have and um, you know differences where you know people are, are, are stuck whether it's you know with our home employment or you know what have you um, and and through to how we can really lift our economy and and do better on a you know on a global stage so um, it's always good coming across Kiwi firms that are that are doing smart, innovative things with with technology. So yeah, that's cool. And um, where where to from here? Like, what a what is your you know the general type of opportunity that you tend to you know look for? That's a that's a good fit for your. Uh, your team because it seems like you've come a long way from when you were you know sp- staying up all night to build <laughs> build a website but you still do websites right yeah no no still still do websites i think what happened when covid hit was we paused and went okay what are the what are the challenges that our clients are going to face and what are the challenges that New Zealand's going to face as a whole and how can we create offerings which will be specific towards supporting that so in the very early days of COVID we came out with a bunch of crisis communication um, solutions that organisations could use to like talk to their stakeholders or um, chat internally with their employees and then moving forward 
it's been, and this is like not just happened in New Zealand, it's happening globally, is that, you know, the pace of digital transformation has kind of gone through the roof, right? So uh, you, I think you mentioned e-commerce before, like digital selling, whether that be through websites, through e-commerce systems, it's like you, you can't really... Um, be confident in your business if it's only brick and mortar now and you only have like a physical retail presence you really need to think how can I make sure that I can get things delivered to my customers Um, and then the other piece which has been really interesting is that most of the world's in lockdown Uh, but people still need to eat and you know people have like employees and families to look after so the other big rise that we've seen is that Uh, organizations are no longer just looking in their backyard like they used to, right? Because normally if you were looking at um, selling something to someone or providing solutions, you'd kind of be like, okay, I'm in Auckland, so I'm going to do that to everyone that's around in Auckland. I'm going to walk and I'm going to go and see them. But now what we're seeing is that people are going, actually, I'm really good at this. No one can go and physically see people like they can in a large amount of places in the world. So that because now everything's being done by a video conference and being done online or via remote work, um, the world's now your oyster, right? So I think New Zealand's got this interesting point, which is we've got all of these international companies that can be coming into New Zealand that we need to realize that our competition uh, has increased for products and services. Absolutely. But also at the same time, we've got the ability to go back out to the world. Uh, And I think that that's, it's a super exciting time. And then New Zealand's got this other advantage at the moment, which is our brand is so strong because of our COVID response. Uh, So I think we've got this great opportunity to really think, you know, how can we be a bit entrepreneurial? How can we use technology and make a a really good difference, not only for our communities, but potentially even from like a global perspective as well? Yeah, that's great. And yeah, we we are in this fascinating time on that digital transformation front where, you know, so much has happened so quickly and, you know, we're told, you know, we've squeezed in, you know, five years worth of digital transformation into into just a, just a few months. And I think that it's really important now that there's that momentum there that businesses shouldn't be pulling back and going, okay, we did what we had to do. We've, you know, got our online store running or we've got everybody working from home well. There, you know, it makes sense to actually keep that stuff going. And, you know, to me it shows that things can be done very, very quickly and every organisation should be looking at, well, what's next? What what can we be doing that other people are doing or that hasn't been done before but, you know, we can see the opportunity and, you know, I, th- I think that's part of how we make New Zealand more competitive as well, right? We keep the that, that you know, Kiwi ingenuity, that sort of thinking going while we're in this place where we can actually, you know, meet face to face and be, you know, reasonably, you know, safe. Um, and yeah, that is, that is different to certainly, you know, big parts of, of the world and, you know, we hear this from, 
people at Microsoft and Google and Amazon and and others where they're saying, hey, we've been told we can you know work from home for another six months, nine months, and so on. Uh, whereas, yeah, actually, yeah, we can get together. So uh, we should we should take advantage of of what comes out of that. Not that you necessarily need to be. Uh, you know, getting together in person to be able to innovate and come up with new things, but uh, I, I definitely think we should we should take advantage of that momentum anyway. Oh, I totally agree, and uh, it's I think the the other piece is that because of COVID, innovation is going so much faster, and um, we we had this conversation before that you had one of the biggest kind of social network for kind of clubs and DJing in the world, which is like which is pretty cool. And and this weekend, um, Microsoft quite a while ago a virtual reality platform called Altspace uh, and one of the things that's happening in Altspace at the moment is that you've got all of these people whether they be kind of festivals or concerts or stand-up comedy there are all of these people from around the world connecting together either in 2D or in virtual reality in these 3D worlds and when you're in Altspace you've got this kind of cartoon style avatar and one of the things that I saw over the weekend, which was really interesting, is they were they had basically, and this technology, this was like a world first, so it had just come out. So because they were racing so quickly to try and make these incredible environments, you had all of these people, I think there were just under a thousand people at what was uh, Diplo, which is like a DJ event. And you had this DJ who was wearing a Microsoft HoloLens, so he was using augmented reality to be able to see all these little virtual avatars while he was mixing DJ decks while yeah. you had all of these other people in this virtual reality world which were looking at little cartoon avatars of each other but then looking up and seeing a hologram of Diplo which was like inside their virtual reality world playing and this was people from all over the world and this technology literally was released the day before wow. and that's just how fast that things are starting to move. And if you take that in this one scenario, you kind of come back to going, yes, COVID's meant that businesses need to be up to date with technology at the moment. And I think it's we've seen a huge amount of digital transformation, but it's also just sped everything up. And I think it's really important at the moment to be looking around and going like, whoa, because everything suddenly accelerated again, and to be honest, technology was accelerating before COVID, um, but this is just taking it up another couple of years. Gears, what's going to happen next? Uh, so I think what you were saying is like just spot on. Businesses and organisations just need to be looking to the horizon at the moment and being like, how can I capitalise this for opportunities and where might the threats be coming from? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, great to great to have you on the show, Damon. Um, now, huge thank you to our show partners that make the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, possible: uh, Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP, Samsung, Gorilla Technology, and of course our headline partner, uh, Umbrella Connect. So, huge thank you to those organisations, both for supporting the New Zealand Tech Podcast, but uh, also for getting behind. Uh, the technology and, and innovation ecosystems here uh, in New Zealand, which is just fantastic. Um, well, thanks everybody for listening in. Thank you, Damon. Now, where do people track you down online? Oh, just go to www.enlighten.co.nz. 
Excellent. And, uh, of course, people can uh, track NZ Tech Podcast down across all the, the social networks. We're on uh, LinkedIn now. We're often streaming on uh, YouTube with live streams of the, uh, the show in video form, also Facebook and Twitter. All right. Thanks, everyone. Catch you next week. See ya. New Zealand's Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.